0: are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst do you want to confide about the darkness inside come and talk about it on self-worst
1: okay how we doing folks welcome back another episode of self-worst i didn't think i was gonna have an episode for this week but we pulled through and we got one John Rosenberg,er New York comedian and all around sweetie, just a big sweet guy, just a big sweet old guy. Um, came through the last minute, and uh, we got one in the can this week, and it was a great talk. Um, just a just a friendly, just a solid nice guy, and you know the internet's crazy, cause I'd never actually met this dude in person before. We were just internet friends you know uh internet acquaintances and then you know we'd comment on people on 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 each other's posts and things went from there and one thing led to another and pretty soon we're podcasting and that's just how life works these days anyway i'm glad i finally got to meet him in person and talk to him we actually recorded this one in person he came over uh, all the way down here to Red Hook on a fucking hot, sweltering day, uh, just to just to get the room tone, uh, leaving the air conditioner running, uh, cause fuck it, I don't want a hot box in a room. On a, ugh, I can't do it. We're gonna sacrifice some sound quality. You're gonna maybe hear a little bit of uh, AC noise, and that's fine because we're dealing with internet noise and lag and zoom conversations and people not talking into proper microphones and we just deal with it it's a podcast it's very low stakes we've learned how to deal with certain audio infidelity haven't we i rarely record in person anymore which is kind of a bummer but also yeah fuck it it's easier it's just so much easier to record um somewhere Else to record remotely, it's always nice when we can record in person. It, there is something that you know there's a there's a human warmth when they're sitting right across from you that uh, that you don't really get over a screen. You just don't. So this was a nice talk. We're sitting here. We're back in America. Um, I got this. I got a we got a dog guest with us. We got this uh, chubby little corgi named Dolly, and uh, it's go it's not going great. Dotty does not like Dolly. Uh, they're not getting along. Uh, Dotty is is just not having it. Dotty's usually pretty good with other dogs. Um, you know, usually pretty friendly or just indifferent. And this dog, she's just like, no, nah, not today. It's hot being too much. You're doing the. The Dolly was doing the, the little playful nip thing in in the face, I'm like I'm gonna yeah I, 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 I'm nip you, and Dolly was like, "No, nah, bitch, not today, not me, not the one. We're not." And and it, it escalated. They they're fine. Nobody got real. Nobody got hurt. But let's just say they had a little bit of an altercation. And Dolly just got here. And she's supposed to be here for three days. And I don't know if it's going to work out. I might have to uh, sink the whole thing and send this dog elsewhere. I don't know. This might be the last time my dog sit. I think I'm just... I've. This era, this chapter of my life is closing. You know that if you follow the show. This is just not... Not a sustainable business model for your boy anymore. Anyway... I'm back in the States. I, uh, just got back from Montreal, which is a just, oh my God, go to Montreal. If you've never been to Montreal, even if you have already been to Montreal, go again. It's the most charming fucking lovely city I have ever been to. The architecture, ah, oh. the public transit, Ah. Oh. food is just incredible, just incredible, everything, I mean, <clears throat> highbrow, we had some of the, you know, we went to Joe Beef, we went to Apit de Cochon, we had some of the real fancy, expensive stuff, and developed gout from a single meal, because you got to if you're there, it's a once in a lifetime experience, but you know, then you go to Wolinski's get a bologna sandwich and it's fucking tits it's so good how do they do it it's like a little bodega sandwich costs like $3.50 cash very simple you can't customize it you get what they give you you get in you get out had some ketchup chips of course brought back some of those they really like ketchup in Canada what is that it's a thing. Canadian listeners write in. What's the story there? Also, here's a Quebec-specific thing I noticed. Seven Up. They really like Seven Up. It's everywhere. It was our fridge at the Airbnb was stocked with Seven Up. There were signs for Seven Up. There were cocktails made of Seven Up. I saw. I shit you not. Not one, but two people walking around. With like liter bottles of 7-Up. Like one under each arm. Got my 7-Up. I was only there for five days. They love 7-Up. What is it? What's going on with the Quebecois and 7-Up? I googled it. I couldn't find anything. Uh, If anybody has any insights, let me know. This episode is brought to you by the cool, crisp, refreshing lemon line flavor of 7-Up. Make 7-Up yours, or whatever they used to say. Up yours, woke moralists. I'm sure it gets cold as fuck there in the winter, but w- w- come on. That just calls the week, man don't go in the or if you're gonna visit just don't visit in the winter I don't know it's so nice it's so clean oh my god the cleanliness the sidewalks are clean the streets are clean the subway platforms are clean there's not dog shit and garbage and dried out rat husks all over the fucking place everyone's hot there's, like, a New York level of, like, really hot, fuckable people just walking around, being all French. Everywhere. It's very diverse. It seems fairly, I don't know, integrated and chill and progressive. It's just, it's just so nice. Oh, the train? Oh, my God. I was almost in tears riding that train. It was so nice. It was so. We missed one because my parents are slow and old, old wobbly people. Uh, and they couldn't waddle up to the platform fast enough. And we missed a train, happens. And I was like, ah, fuck, we're going to have to sit here. But A, the platform wasn't sweltering, even though it was far underground because there's like airflow in there, you know? flowing air and HVAC system and immediately another train pulled up and I was like what is this some kind of optical illusion no it's a nice smooth clean train that's very clear and understandable and was intuitive even though I don't speak French I knew where I was going I knew what I was doing I wasn't scared, there were no rats. It was just nice. It's a crazy looking train, by the way. It has rubber tires. Look this up. It's a very, I'd never seen anything like this. It's not like metal on metal tracks. There's a track, but it has rubber tires, and then has the little, you know, the third rail for electricity. And that motherfucker zips along. It goes so fast, and it—it's smooth because there's some, there's some uh, suspension, you know, with the with the rubber tires. I've never seen a train like that. I'm going into a whole kind of train spiral right now. That's how that's how much this trip to the outside of the country really kind of like blew my mind. Because you know what the metaphor about the frog in the boiling water where you grow up kind of steeped in this American culture and American exceptionalism and everything and you just get kind of used to it and you just don't really notice but it's starting to like even for a a frog in the water like we're starting to kind of notice the last few years like oh man this is getting shit's getting kind of there's just is a undercurrent of hostility in America right now is there not do you not just constantly feel this palpable sense of ugh just just simmering just uh, just stoking about to spark at any moment just violence and anger and hate like I'm kind of used to it And it took me leaving the country and like kind of airing out the stink for a day or so and just walking around being like, what's missing here? Oh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm going to get shot or like have to like stop somebody from getting assaulted in front of me. Or like, I just don't feel like there's going to be like a, a riot or a fascist uprising or anything like it just it doesn't there's not this like anxiety under everything and i know bad stuff happens in canada i know bad stuff has happened in canada it's got a history you know any settler colonial state it's got some genocide and bad shit but i mean come on Do you really think that anybody can hold a candle to the good old US of A in terms of all of that history of violence and potential future violence? So coming back to the States has been interesting. We came back and the city was flooded. This has happened twice now. We've returned from a trip and the city is actually kind of partially underwater kind of like, oh, we're going to have to bail out our basements. This happened last summer. Uh, The subways were flooding. Not only filled with rats and feces, but also just, everything's just floating. Just water. Just subway water. People just casually wading through it to drive through a couple of puddles in the Bronx. A sinkhole opened up in the Bronx and swallowed a van. I'm sure we all saw that. So that's what this is, like literally collapsing. Literally a hole in the ground. And this is the best city in the country. I love this city. But goddamn, it is fucking ratchet here. And it really, I'm not saying anything new. Like every American who's been abroad has been like, wow, have you been to, have you seen how they do things in Europe? I know. But this wasn't even that far. This was a, a seven hour drive. Got there in a day. And it's like a whole nother world. Everybody's speaking French. Everybody's fine as fuck. Everything's cute. And nice, there's these little spiral staircases on all the buildings, plants hanging everywhere. It's just, just some romantic shit, anyway. So, my head's still spinning from all of that, and now I'm here with this fucking dog. It's fine, she's fine, it's not her fault. They're just they just don't jive. She's actually a very sweet dog, they just don't jive we're keeping an eye on the situation it's a little bit of there's some tension there's some tension in the house right now between dotty and dolly and yes it is very hard to keep them their names straight but we're dealing with it all right um let's go to the talk with john rosenberger uh just a just a nice guy. Just a big sweet soft sweet boy. Just was just every bit as nice as I thought he was gonna be in person. And uh oh, guys Thank you. Alright. Anyway, let's go to the talk. With uh my new friend. Can I say that? I don't know. I don't have any friends. No one even likes me. Uh, with a cool guy. John Rosenberger.
2: Podcast about grief that I'm forgetting the name of at the moment.
1: Oh, that sounds good.
2: It's really good. Uh, and then I produced Significant Others, which was a podcast that Mara Wiles and Jane Harrison did about, uh, famous
1: couples. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love Casey Salengo. Mm-hmm. I had him on the show. I had Courtney on the show. Oh, nice. Um, they're two of my favorite guests. I know yeah. You you did a uh, NFL fan therapy a little bit too, mm-hmm. right? You with yeah. all of them. I never like really got into that one just yeah. because I'm not an NFL right. guy. I don't really watch it. It's just
2: fun to improvise, though. Yeah. Know?
1: It's it's more of an improv Im- improv based mm-hmm. kind of thing, right?
2: Right. What you basically need to know is you know that the people whose teams are bad usually are depressed Mm -hmm. and the people whose teams are good are usually pretty manic Mm -hmm. and then uh the rest you can pretty much follow without much of a a basis for actual nfl like knowledge right
1: right yeah i don't know it's um i'm glad that there's kind of an emerging thing with uh uh I don't know, younger folks embracing sports culture that's not in such a I don't know, cuz I grew up on such a opposite side of all of mm-hmm. that stuff and just like, oh, sports are for jocks and douchebags. Yep. It's nice to kind of hear a convergence of, you know, sports fans and like artsy Yeah, nerds. it's it's you pretty know, just, cool, just you know. But you know?
2: it's uh it's a growing, but it's it's always been there that kind of subculture. Of like, mm-hmm. usually people who played sports but didn't necessarily ascribe to the jock culture mm-hmm. have then kind of grew out and were like, no, you can have a appreciation for sport while also not having to I mean, shove people any, in lockers. Anytime like
1: you hear a sports fan talk about sports, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you're a nerd. Yeah you're just like you know the entire lineup of the 77 mm-hmm. bears or exactly. whatever the fuck you know all of that. St- like you're you're a nerd bro mm-hmm. like well it's like just- fantasy
2: football is just dungeons and dragons with football players where you're yeah. just like drafting your your uh your party mm-hmm. and then kind of like selecting who you're gonna go in and out of various situations yeah
1: it's just more socially acceptable or something it's just like a thing. yeah it's more you know uh it has less of a nerd stigma it usually carries a
2: little bit more of a monetary thing and i think that helps it shed its uh nerd stigma a little bit true yeah like if people gambled more on D and magic and stuff like that like explicitly gambled i'm sure that there's tons of like little house bets here and there yeah. but like if people really like explicitly gambled on that the way that they do you know fantasy and uh daily uh and stuff like that i i bet that the the chasm would it wouldn't close entirely but i bet it would close a little bit
1: well that's what's going on with video games yeah video games are cool now and it's mm-hmm. like hot fuckable people play video games and get paid to do it because there's money to be made in video games now yeah it's just because there's money there right exactly which is, I mean, you know, with stand-up, then mm-hmm. there's, there's like, <laughs> that's why it's still kind of halfway uh, in in the darkness,
2: right? Yeah, and stand-up in general, we're just, uh, I, I say we in the royal we. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, there's different subsections, but stand-ups are, I think, by and large, the worst at just keeping their fucking mouths shut, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of what. Um, that that's part of what keeps it from like being a fully legitimized thing, yeah is like um because talk because of the artifice of stand-up is that you're saying your own thoughts uh it's much harder to unless you're like a real diet in the wool Louis guy or whatever it's real it's much harder to separate the art from the artist because technically the art the the conceit of the art is that it isn't an art it's that you're just saying what pops into your head right so then when you say racist shit or transphobic shit or whatnot, they're like well that's also in their head yeah whereas like if you're a football player they're like I don't watch him to hear his thoughts about
1: yeah right Mm -hmm. you don't you don't follow like a an anime MMA fighter for their views right. on gender politics and stuff. Yeah, You follow them because they're really good at kicking people in the face. Right, exactly. Like, oh, that's cool. They're mm-hmm. really good at that. Yeah. I, I get it. Um do you play D&D? Have you ever been a? I D&D? played d and
2: D a a little person? bit. I'm a magic guy.
1: Ah. When did you start that?
2: Uh I started like pretty much close to the advent of it, so like early 90s. Yeah. Playing you know and i still have decks at my parents house and stuff like that
1: a lot of my friends did magic but i think when they were getting into it they tried to explain it to me Mm -hmm. and my brain at the time especially was too adhd and Mm -hmm. loopy for that like they would explain it and i would just like sit there like kind of like just not able to absorb it and was like okay i can't i
2: think magic is also a game that you just have to learn experientially more so than like board games where you can just explain explain the the rules the rules and then like there's all kinds of stuff i'm you know i play uh magic the gathering arena which is online now and i still like what is you know what does mill mean like if you get to mill your cards it's like you have to reshuffle your deck and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but i'm always learning new uh phraseology
1: it's like a language you have to actually mm-hmm. speak it you can't just get on duolingo every day and expect right. to know spanish like yeah. it just really doesn't work like that you mm-hmm. have to actually be immersed in it right right um so you were you were in the hardcore scene mm-hmm. uh for a while here in new york i mean you still are mm-hmm. um but you you have uh, we just met you're sitting yeah. across from me for the first time we we just met for the first time and uh you know, we follow each other online and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you seem like such a a, a, a nice, soft, friendly man. Like, mm-hmm. so um, there seems to be a kind of a I don't know a stereotype with with hardcore guys that they're very like angry Henry Rollins sort of types. Yeah, I will admit, uh, hardcore isn't really my not your bag it it was never really it just wasn't my scene it just never i i am maybe a little young for Mm -hmm. it or i just never uh i'm 37 okay yeah yeah five years is a uh, decent amount maybe i maybe just missed it or something i don't know but it just never quite got Mm -hmm. to me um i had friends who liked a lot of it but it just never really appealed to me but yeah um yeah, I don't know you just you get all your Your anger out in the pit and, I and get, you're fine I
2: get my anger out in the pit and a lot Of hardcore in general is um, Based on principles Of community And you know uh, Helping each other up Both uh, You know figuratively and Also if somebody falls down you literally Everybody in the pit stops what They're doing and they make sure the guy's back on his feet And mm-hmm you know, he's okay. So like there, there's a lot of very community based, uh, aspects of the hardcore scene, uh, that I, uh, felt particularly drawn to. And then, uh, it was, it didn't hurt that I got to, you know, spin kick, uh, for 45 minutes.
1: Right. What, what was your first show? Like
2: my first, my first hardcore show, Yeah, your first
1: hardcore show. Like what, did it click right away, or were you like, yeah. "Oh, this is a little too intense"? But then you eventually got into it. It,
2: it, uh, my it clicked for me before I went to my first full-on hardcore show. Mm. Uh, I was in, uh, I was into the ska before that, and I had gone to see the Mighty Mighty Bosstones, and Sick of It All opened up for them. Mm-hmm. And I remember, Sick of It All, within two songs, I was like, "No, I don't want like that anymore. I like this." Right, and it just immediately like clicked. Uh, you know, there's there's something very, there. A, a lot of, I don't know, I haven't been to, I, I would say, a lot of newer hardcore bands shows. So, like, anybody who's popped into the scene within the past seven years, uh, I probably haven't seen. Mm-hmm. But, like, older hardcore guys, they're, the lead singer kind of would split a role between being the singer and also kind of being like a street preacher, hmm. and just kind of in between songs giving brief sermons about uh, mostly community support. Yeah, and how there's
1: there's a lot of politics yeah. and uh, stuff like that. Anti-capitalism mm-hmm. Ant- and veganism and yeah. stuff. The straight Krishna stuff. is big in there. Krishna, really? Mm-hmm. Is uh, any other religion or just Krishna?
2: Um, I mean every. Krishna is the the one that I can say really like had a a definite foothold, yeah in it. you know I, there's people f- from all religions, but Krishna was one of the few that really was like. Oh, I'm going to see people who are explicitly that
1: makes sense. Your head's already shaved. Your
2: head's already shaved.
1: You like chanting and rocking back and forth. <laughs> that's yeah, that's okay. very I, true. I see that. Yeah,
2: that's very true. Okay. Also, you know, I think Krishna, uh, because of its very communal kind of uh, philosophy, is mm-hmm. uh, there was very attractive to a lot of the more transient members of various scenes because it's like, oh, we can go stay at the Krishna house where there's just, like, they'll put anybody up. Right. And then you bounce around to enough of those in enough different cities and whatnot that you're like, oh, this is a kind of cool philosophy and I think I'm going to get into
1: it. Did you do a lot of the kind of traveling around other cities? No, I wasn't
2: wasn't an artist. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a performer. Uh, So I mainly stayed uh, in the New York, Long Island area, New Jersey occasionally, maybe... Philly, every once in a while something crazy was happening. Mm.
1: What was it that it was giving you, do you think, like in in hindsight? What was it that it was satisfying within you?
2: It gave me, I think, three things that I I can really point to. One uh, was a sense of belonging during a time when I had uh, first moved to a new city and didn't really have a lot of my own friends. So it, they, nobody gave gave a shit when you showed up to a show. They're like, hey, as long as you're not an asshole, we'd love to have you hang out. Yeah. Uh, it gave me a, a sense of catharsis because, you know, you just get to scream and throw your arms around for two, three hours, two, three times a week, you know. And then it also gave me, like I said, it, it, it spoke a lot to... Uh, I'm from a family that's very, uh, very invested in community engagement and uh, helping with things that are larger than yourself. And uh, a lot of the messages coming from hardcore uh, kind of spoke to that as well. So it really kind of resonated with me.
1: Talk a little bit more about that. Uh, so about your, your parents are uh, one's a social worker, one's a my
2: dad. My mom's a, a social worker. My dad is a lawyer. He's been a lawyer. Uh, he was a a freedom a lawyer for the Freedom Riders. Wow. Uh, so, you know, civil justice or yeah, civil justice, civil yeah. rights stuff like that. His, he he escaped. Uh, he escaped Germany right around the time of the Holocaust. So he's always been. Uh, A a big believer in not closing the door behind you and helping people wherever you can. And, you know, that your legacy will always, you know, money goes away. Uh, There will always be somebody who gets richer than you or is more famous. It
1: has to leave an impression on on people, you know. It's... Mm -hmm. it's I can't even imagine. I was just listening to a, a episode of Behind the Bastards mm-hmm. where they talked about Henry Kissinger, and he grew up like in Nazi Germany, yeah, and was like chased down the street and beaten up and mm-hmm. stuff. And they escaped, you know, before the shit got real bad and people were getting put in camps and stuff. And and then he became Henry Kissinger, like right. one of the worst fucking war criminals of all. Yeah, time. it's insane. It's So crazy that like he that that was his takeaway because i think for most people their takeaway is like oh uh just indiscriminately killing people and dehumanizing people is actually really bad because i've been on the receiving end of and that's not like i've seen what this does Mm -hmm. to countries and communities uh and and just pointing to a group of people and telling them telling everybody that like that (laughs) they're the problem right holding us back as a society is bad mm-hmm. and he's just he just went the opposite way yeah. i don't know it, it just it maybe took the heart out of him or something it i have could no be. idea
2: you know I've, I've always been interested in in stuff like that yeah. I, I didn't know all that about kissinger uh, but like even relatives within my own family like some of them clearly came out of that and their the what their takeaway was was I'm, I have learned that anybody can be taken away at any time. Yeah. So I am just going to focus on uh, hoarding wealth and whatnot so mm. that if I happen to be taken away, there will be a financial legacy for my family, but not, uh, but they weren't ever very, they're m- more conservative, weren't yeah. ever very like uh, civic minded. hmm and then you know, my dad, on the other hand, you know, he immediately went. He immediately enlisted uh, when. He, well, not immediately. He got here when he was like eleven. Yeah. L- enlisted. At, he got his mom to sign off so he could enlist at sixteen because he was like, "This is a place that saved me. I want to work to save this right. place." Uh, and then you know, he just used the GI Bill to put himself through. Did he
1: get to go shoot any Nazis?
2: No, he, uh, he, by the time he enlisted, uh, we had done a pretty good job of shooting most no, of the Nazis. No. Uh, so seems like we missed a couple. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, he, he went to Korea. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, what did they you know, your parents sort of think about uh, you in like the hardcore scene? Were they scared for you? Were they concerned that you're doing like a rebellious teen thing, or are they like, Oh, it's nice that he has a little thing, they he's saw, got they, some friends.
2: They saw it as a rebellious teen thing a little mm-hmm. bit, but they were just not happy that I found a place that I could uh, fit in you know
1: right. uh, and I, I i just burn off some of that testosterone Burn off burn testosterone
2: off, yeah. was very always very good it's not cool to say but i was pretty good at following rules so mm-hmm. you know as long as i was home by midnight 1 a.m they didn't and i didn't show up bloody or hammered they're right. like yeah it seems fine
1: cool yeah so you mentioned uh before that Um, you know, you didn't get in a whole ton of trouble, but you had some undiagnosed learning disabilities Mm -hmm. and had some trouble in school. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, I have ADD. Same. I have uh, something called dysgraphia, Mm. where at a certain point, uh, the part of your brain that develops handwriting stops developing. Whoa. So I've had the same handwriting since probably second grade. Interesting. And that made you know in class work very frustrating because you, i really had to like sit there and concentrate not on what i was trying to say but just like the movement of my hands Do you have to
1: write really slow yeah yeah so that it was it's super sloppy
2: if i write fast it is can be borderline illegible
1: yeah well I mean, yeah so Cl- yeah, Close to that i'm showing john my notebook right now and it is just like it is some of the worst handwriting of all yeah. time so
2: I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, that, but like in class work, I was either getting bad grades because they were just, like, I can't, like, I can't read this, mm-hmm. or I was getting bad grades because I spent so much time concentrating on how my handwriting looked that I wasn't spending enough time and mental energy on the actual subject matter.
0: Mm
1: And they didn't, did they try at any point to be like, well, maybe do typing. Maybe, because to their credit, a nice thing that happened to me when Mm -hmm. I was a kid was they noticed my handwriting was really bad and they were like, maybe learn to type. And
2: that's interesting. You know, I I think, I just don't think they were equipped both technologically and uh, problem solving wise to come up with those kinds of solutions so right. they were just like well you know uh it was just a lot of my parents and my you know teachers sitting in parent teacher conferences just throwing up their hands at each other like i don't know what do you want me to do like
1: right and it's just like
2: i i would love for somebody to help me is what i would
1: love. Like. yeah yeah did you eventually um were you eventually able to seek any kind of uh, treatment or equilibrium with the ADHD
2: the ADHD I got on uh, so uh, I got on a few medications throughout high school and college that I really hated Mm mm-hmm uh because they were like pure ADHD uh, medications, as opposed to right. things that have like multiple purposes.
1: Right. So you were taking a Ritalin, Concerta,
0: mm-hmm. Adderall, and, and I shit. just was just like this it's speed
2: makes me feel yeah. so uncomfortable because I'm just so hyper focused on this. Yeah. That I'm like grinding my teeth. I'm what? Uh, uh, and then when I left college, I ended up uh, getting put on Celexa, Mm-hmm. which. Uh, was more for depression but did have some adhd related uh benefits as well and that that really helped me turn a corner
1: did you um are are you still kind of managing it now or do you feel like you've sort of hit a good equilibrium with understanding it and i think have enough tools to kind of work yeah. around it i think i have enough tools
2: I, I do i think having the tools is what's important it's mm-hmm. just uh knowing how to manage it so that you're not adding the frustration of right. poorly managing it on top of the frustration of actually dealing with the problem you how know? does
1: it uh manifest itself with you like bad planning bad uh uh I don't know emotional dysregulation or bad social skills, anxiety.
2: Um, bad social. I, I, uh, I would say time management is mm-hmm. a big problem. Uh, especially if I'm working on something by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if
1: you have like kind of a, a vague deadline, it just never happens, kind of shit. Right.
2: Yeah. But uh, one, one compulsion that I have that I'm sure we will discuss uh, plenty uh, is uh, I have a very um, servile for lack of a better term nature. Hmm. Uh, So one thing that really helps me manage things is if I I can work on them with somebody because then I'm better at keeping track of my own stuff because I don't want to let the other person down. Right. Whereas if I'm just working it by myself I'm like I don't I don't care if you're I, good, I, I don't care if I'm late really with this. I'm not going to be mad yeah. at myself.
1: You're good as a team player, not yeah. a not a leader necessarily. Exactly. Yeah, I think I have kind of a similar sort of thing. I've mm-hmm. never really been asked uh, in any job I've ever had to like manage anybody mm-hmm. <laughs> or anything, and, and, and honestly, uh, I don't know if I'd be up to the task. Yeah, I just don't know if I could um, really do that. I mean, I w- Decision-making processes for me are really uh, excruciating. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you experienced this, but like case in point, the the, the dog we have right now yeah. staying with us, this Corgi, uh, is not getting along real well with Dottie. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of having to decide, like, okay... because So I'm a dog walker and a mm-hmm. sitter uh, by trade. And so we're having to decide, like, uh, do I forfeit the the money and just uh hand this dog yeah. off to one of my co-workers mm-hmm. or do i just see how it goes and that was like a decision that i had to make like earlier like while you were on your way over here oh I was, like, wow i need to be thinking about like my interview with john and mm-hmm. like i'm and i'm just like stuck in this like decision paralysis yeah and i keep like hemming and hawing and talking about it with my girlfriend and she's like getting annoyed because she's like i don't know man this is your fucking job mm-hmm. you know and i'm just like oh uh, yeah but i don't know because like you're home with them too and like i'm just you know, just being annoying at, at yeah. a certain point and like wishy washy, mm-hmm. and uh, it's I don't know. I, I don't want to like pathologize it too much. I think it's just sort of a personality trait at yeah. some point, but it, it can like get in the way. You know, it can be it can be um, annoying and it can be really. It's one of those things. With me, what I've noticed about ADHD. And some of the effects that it has is it's not um, acute, Mm -hmm. the problems that it causes. Like you don't like go on like a coke binge and like fuck everything up. You don't torpedo a relationship necessarily. Or like, you know, it's not like explosive and destructive and like, oh fuck, like I need to go to the hospital, like kind of spiral my life out of control. Mm -hmm. But it just is this like slow erosion more kind of thing where it's just like, After like 10 years, you kind of realize like I've been doing the same job that I don't really care about for a long time because I don't have the agency to go look for another fucking job. Right. You know, and and I don't like I haven't I've had all these projects that have fallen by the wayside and I look back on my life and it's just this like trail of unfinished Mm -hmm. projects and unrealized dreams. And then it just gets and that's almost worse in a way because you're just like fuck you can't get that time back mm-hmm. and like it, you you see that you have some sort of potential but then it's just like you just don't yeah. ever rise to it it just fucking sucks man
2: i i was thinking about this in context of um i have i run a i run a monthly show mm-hmm. uh we go- oh, this weekend will be 1 year of running it uh, i ran it for a long time with uh, one of my best friends uh and then she moved to la and the past three months i uh have not been as motivated in running it as i was previously mm-hmm. and i uh, because you don't have a team because i don't have, have don't have a teammate anymore so just you. i'm just, I'm just it, yeah exactly it's not Our thing that I'm afraid of letting fail, it's my thing that I'm, like, becoming ambivalent towards, Mm. whether it fails or not, because of this whole, you know, needing to be a team member to function to my highest potential. Right.
1: But, I mean, that you know, the thing that's said about society is it Mm -hmm. takes all kinds. Like, the world needs... Uh, team players mm-hmm. like us. It can't all just be a bunch of, like, you know, alpha male kind yeah. of guys. You know, like, it just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I hate that... You know, and this is, like, a whole fucking... feeds into weird American militarism, toxic masculinity shit, mm-hmm. where, it's like, you're expected to, like, as a man, you are an alpha male kind of type. You're, like, a pushy boss, or you're not a real man, you know? Like, that is unfortunately Mm -hmm. uh the unspoken and sometimes very explicitly spoken rule about about manhood and it it, it fucking it sucks
2: it sucks a lot it sucks uh that you know you try to have empathetic conversations with people who have really bought into that mindset and it's just like a sisyphean uh task of just like you think you're making a little headway and then you can just watch Something flip, and they're like, "No, no, 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 no. Uh, that's not how I want things to work. I want them to be, you know, the red-blooded American way, where mm-hmm. this is how things have always worked, and this is how they will continue to work for me." And it's like, but that's not how they have to. Yeah,
1: you
2: know, you have an understanding of the of a world based. Ninety percent of the people that I discuss stuff with that have these antiquated mindsets don't even weren't even alive when those mindsets were practical so it's just like well why do you have why why do you think this way is it because that's how your dad thought your granddad thought right. and that's just like what you came up with cuz that's not how the world the way the world your grandfather was in is not the same world that you're in now you know you know uh, you think about this when it comes to uh transgender Debates or uh, abortion access debates. It's like, well, my pop pop was alive in the forties, and th- yeah. you know there weren't. Ne- all of a sudden, everybody needs abortions. Like, no, people always needed them. It's yeah, just that they were a thing. It's just that they were either not spoken about or wildly illegal.
1: It was happening in secret yeah. and was very unsafe, mm-hmm. and it was not yeah. good. Yeah
2: but you know they 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 don't see it that way they just see it as like things that the left wants to weaponize against them yeah and it's just it's really disheartening i i, I run into it a lot i because i used to uh work in the world of youth sports mm. which sadly is the place where that kind of that's kind of one of the main bullshit battlegrounds. Should, should not exist yeah. you know cuz you it's all about helping young people grow up to uh it, at least in my mind it's all about helping young people grow and become th- the most confident and happiest versions yeah. of themselves but so many people are like you know i do this because my my dad was myself sop- my dad was my little league coach and his dad was his little league coach yeah and we've been coaching in the same way for generations it's like yeah but how many how many Major League Baseball players do you have in your family? None? Well, maybe it's time to reevaluate. Re- yeah, you know? well,
1: I mean, just reevaluate, like, do you even like doing this? Right, exactly. You, are, you, are you committing to this thing that, you, that fucking makes you miserable and brings out bad parts of you because you think that you're supposed to, like, you know...
2: Or or why do you like doing this? Yeah. You know, are, do you like doing this because it's something you enjoy, or do you like doing it because... You have some kind of savior complex, or do you like doing it because you feel powerless in other aspects of your life and this gives you an avenue of which you can be the authority figure? Yeah. Uh, it's real sad to me yeah.
1: it's hard I don't know it, it sports especially youth sports seem to be one of the main battlegrounds of like mm-hmm. the kind of culture war thing happening oh with, all, like, across trans the board athletes and stuff like that and this like and now Christianity know, the, yeah, the, yeah the 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 quote unquote save women sports mm-hmm. thing that's really like it's a concern troll for uh people to not include trans girls and trans women and in right. women's intramural sports and that's all it is but it's like oh well it's not fair because they're really boys and it's mm-hmm. just like, there's all kinds of other factors to consider with weight class and <laughs> physical ability and you know just it, it really isn't can
2: uh, uh, can i tell you a story real sure quick? uh so w- one of these guys uh i'm just gonna name drop him He. He's 75 years old. He doesn't listen to podcasts. Nobody else. Sure. This guy, uh, Temkin, who I used to uh, coach, not with, but like he coached in the same leagues. We got into a Facebook argument. Facebook is where I like to go to argue. Yeah. Uh, because you can write longer things, and y- uh, that's where all of the... Uh, that's where all like, the boomer dum hang out. All the boomer dum-dums yeah. hang out. Yeah. And we were arguing about... Uh, trans women in sports. Yeah. And he, he was like, if I, so you're telling me as somebody who used to run a youth sports league, you're going to tell me that, uh, I could show up to the field and say I was a 15 year old girl and you would just let me play. I was like, I would have no qualm if you, uh, felt like you were a woman. Uh, you are 68 years old and, uh, yeah. I could not let you play, fi- uh, as, in like a 15 U league. Yeah. But as far as your, your gender goes, I, whatever makes you happiest and makes you feel most comfortable in your skin. he's like, but, but, you know, we wouldn't let that happen. And I'm like, yeah, because again, you're a grown adult. It's, yeah. It has nothing to do with, uh, your gender it has nothing to do with anything except for the fact that you're an adult trying to play a children's game. And There's that false equivalency that they always pull out, where it's just like, no, 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 no. I
1: think they think that there's like a bunch of weirdos who want to just like, I don't know, uh, what's that like, like bosom buddies? Mm -hmm. You know, where it's just it's just some guy who's just like, oh, I'm gonna pull one over on this uh, women's volleyball team. They're not doing it just to like fucking scam their way into an easy gold medal or yeah. whatever the fuck. They're doing it because like I like I am trans and I also like mm-hmm. kickboxing or whatever right. it is and like
2: it goes it goes, But the thing is, is these people who have such a a problem with all all of you know transgenderism in sports or what have you, uh, they don't care if you know, it was, girls play little league baseball. They don't, yeah. my sister wanted to play lacrosse. Her school didn't have a girls lacrosse team. She's like, I'll play boys lacrosse. Right. And they're like, yeah, but you'll get hit. And she's like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So if people want to play the sport that makes them happy, their, their gender is not the thing that is holding them back. You know, you read stories about, boys playing field hockey and stuff like that. So they're not doing it just because they're like, "I." it'll make it easier for me. If anything, it makes life much more difficult to navigate in so many other fronts that, like, I can't imagine the trade-off for a silver medal in the Olympics is worth all of the medical... And whatnot, just to, and all the social pressure, just yeah. to win it. Like it means a lot to win something that you've worked your whole life towards, and it would, and it would mean a lot to do it in the way you feel most comfortable as a person. Hmm. And that makes sense to me, as far as like I, as far as transitioning and then playing sports it makes sense to me to be like well i feel that i'm a woman or i feel that i'm a man and it's important to me to compete as i feel most comfortable yeah as opposed to trying to get some kind of competitive advantage or something like that
1: yeah that's what i'm saying is i yeah. think that people think that they're just mm-hmm. that people are changing their entire fucking lives right. their body their hormones their gender their appearance their voice Everything mm-hmm. about who they are, just to get an edge on a sports t- sports team, like yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't really seem uh, super plausible, to right? Me when you really uh, think about it, because it isn't, because mm-hmm. it's not really about that. It's because you think it's yucky and weird. Right? And it, it makes you feel gross, and, and you don't like that.
2: It makes you That's feel it. gross. It makes you, and it makes you feel bad about yourself. It that you, you, you feel, feel like you're on the wrong side of things because you are. <sighs> So then you just get angrier when people try to speak to you reasonably because uh, you're 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 rejecting the reason of
1: the whole thing.
2: You're you know.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you still uh, coach sports? No. No. Mm-hmm. Gave up on all of that.
2: Yeah. Um. I had a group that I coached from when they were in fifth grade till when they graduated high school. hmm And then when they when they graduated. Uh, I stuck around for like a year or two for like logistical support. And they were like, well, we kind of want you to start another group. I was like, I do not want to commit another eight years of my life to this.
1: So you used to do social work Mm -hmm. for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. What led you into, I mean, you know, kind of family legacy, Mm -hmm. I assume, sort of led you into that. Um,
2: Yeah. And I was a salesman before that. And I felt awful about myself every day.
1: Well, how would you even? (laughs) Yeah. How can you even? Selling what?
2: Uh, selling phone systems to businesses
1: Okay uh,
2: Mostly just convincing people They needed far more expensive Things than they actually needed Right. And then riding a train home from White Plains every day and just feeling Like a garbage human being because These people are Doing what they've dreamt Of doing their whole lives and then I am Taking advantage Of them uh, to I don't know do tequila shots like i would yeah i i sales sucks i'm sorry it's got sales. I, if any salespeople are listening i'm very sorry but i mean yeah you it's gotta, a garbage industry you gotta
1: you gotta do your job i i yeah i don't there's gotta be some people out there who are like really stoked to be like i'm gonna be a salesman when mm-hmm. I grow up. you know and they're just like they're good at that or whatever they're but usually
2: like, from a family of
1: salespeople yeah i, I guess i don't know very interesting.
2: This guy I went to high school with. Uh, he is from a family of salespeople, and he in in high school was very much like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go into either e- either textiles or real estate. I'm like, that's your dream, man. You don't want to be an astronaut or some shit like that. Yeah. You want to sell fencing? Because that's what your dad does. Wow, I'm just attacking dads left and right. <laughs> <today>. <laughs>
1: This is a pro-dad podcast. Pro-dad. Dads are... are I like dads. Generally, okay. I don't know. Dads, I like. uh, Patriarchy, I don't care That's true. Yeah. We can say that. Yeah. Dads are all over the map, honestly. Moms are all over the map. That's one thing we really learned on this podcast is Mm -hmm. uh, parents. Parenting is hard. Parenting And uh, a lot of people fuck it up, and a lot of people shouldn't be doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We both uh, have vasectomies. We're in the vasectomy club. Uh, Mm -hmm. We we happen to know this about each other. Yeah. How long uh, after your vasectomy were you uh, like walking normal and everything? How long did it take you? Because I'm on like day seven now, and I'm still kind of like.
2: I'd say uh, a little, ten to fifteen days. Ten to fifteen. Okay,
1: so I'm maybe like halfway through. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's about. It's going about how I expected.
2: But you also can't take my. Advice for anything when it comes to recovery time because I am very bad at tending to my body's needs and uh. stuff like that. So I'm just like, well, if it's not co- like if it's discomfort and not pain, then I'm like, it's fine, right? So,
1: so you've decided to just opt out of fatherhood um,
0: for the time being,
1: for the time being, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, it is uh, uh, theoretically reversible. I yeah. think it's, um it, it, I think when I was talking to my doctor about it, he was like, well, I can't guarantee it. But, yeah, pretty much. Anyway, yeah. But See,
2: my know. doctor was uh, far less forthcoming than yeah. that. And it was just like, yeah, we could reverse it. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I did it, uh, I'd say, I'm 41. Six years ago.
1: Okay. When I was 35. Hell yeah there's never going to be any shortage of people who want to have kids. Yeah. Those people are out there. I'm friends with a bunch of them. They, some of my friends who have kids, like that's what they've wanted to do since they were like in high school. Mm -hmm. And like, I never related then. I don't really relate now, but like happy for them. They're doing great and they're really good at it, but like they want to, right. You know, like that's the big thing. They want to, my parents really wanted to have me more than anything, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and they were really good at it. So, um, you know, great. I turned out uh, to be a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah see, uh,
2: I think I think I decided to do it when I made peace with the fact that you don't need children to continue a legacy.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Because like that was always my one hold up, you know, and my one motivation for wanting to do the whole nuclear family thing. Yeah. And then when I was getting closer to making my decision uh, to get a vasectomy, uh, the, one of the real qualms I had was like, well, I come from this like very interesting and very noble family legacy, and it would be a shame to have it end. Right. But I'm not comfortable bringing children into this world. Fair. And... I can still be kind and still create a legacy of kindness and community support and whatnot and share the stories from my past, from my family's past and stuff like that. Yeah. Without having to then bring children into a world that will probably die before they do.
1: Yeah. It just doesn't need to be that anymore. And when you were talking earlier about, um you know patriarchy and kind of jock culture mm-hmm. and people men especially i think you know look i know that obviously in this world women have it way worse yeah. than men uh and it really fucking sucks and uh we are seem to be moving backwards and things are bad mm-hmm. but uh all i can really speak to is my experience as a Man in this world and seeing other men go through something similar, which is we feel often like we are being uh, corralled and shoehorned into a type of person and a type of behavior that isn't us, that we don't want to be like. And if we are forced to do that, if we are pressured to do that, then our legacy is just going to be more bad stuff Mm -hmm. like when you know i don't know when i think of being kind of a you know like having control of stuff because i'm a man yeah and i think of that in terms of like the animals that i take care
0: of Mm -hmm.
1: i think of like if a dog is misbehaving and Mm -hmm. like won't walk or like won't stop barking or whatever like On a hot July day like this, and it's my 10th dog of the day, and I'm drenched in sweat, and I'm frustrated, like I'm already kind of keyed up, Mm -hmm. then my instinct is to just get really fucking mad at the dog for not acting the way I want. Mm -hmm. And, like, I've caught myself, like, just, like, like yelling at a dog or, like, or just, like, I think, like, well, then what good am I doing at this job? Like, because my whole purpose with this job is to just, like, make sure the animal is safe and has a nice time and is happy and well taken care of and loved and blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I am just, like, dragging this dog along and it doesn't want to walk and I'm, like, cursing at it and just, like, mad because it's not doing the thing I want. And there's some part of me, this, like, testosterone part of me that's like, no, you're going to fucking listen to me because I'm an authority figure. And, like, I'm going to fucking, like, I'm. I'm the boss here. Mm-hmm. I'm the professional dog walker and I'm not going to be pushed around by some little fucking shih tzu or whatever. Yeah. You know?
2: Um, I was thinking about, because we were talking about animals and then it brought me back to uh, a thing about, uh, you know, misconceptions about the hardcore scene and all that stuff, which is, um, I I anytime you see it, it, it very much the duality of like outward ver, outward present presentation versus inward presentation. Mm-hmm. Anytime you you see a band like an old hardcore band, ninety five percent of the time one of them is going to have like a pit bull mm-hmm. on like a chain link leash, you yeah. know. But those are always the guys who are like. Oh, he's kind of a goon. I don't really that's not the person. That's the the person who got into this cuz they wanted to play loud music and fuck people up. That's not the person who got into it because they uh appreciate the scene and like what the scene represents and stuff like that. And but then you juxtapose it with uh my friend uh Jordan uh has a theory which is that 85% of all male males who came up in the hardcore scenes across the u.s have cats mm. and it's because you know rearing a cat is a far more you know you don't rough house with it you're not yeah you know it, it, it's a far more communal and i would say matriarchal kind of relationship because sure. it's all about
1: it's more delicate. It's, it's more, delicate. more delicate. It's about kind
2: of making letting them know that they're safe with you as opposed to just yeah. being their buddy, you know?
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Micah Brucey. He's a Micah a, brucey exactly a hardcore guy. I don't know him super well, but I know he has a cat. Mm-hmm. I know he's a Chuck. hardcore guy. Yep. Yeah. And I know he you know, he, he's covered in tats and like mm-hmm. has his like but he's he just seems like a big sweetie to me. He's the know. sweetest boy,
2: you know. <laughs> Me, me, and Mike were uh, patients zero and zero A for this theory, and then uh, since then, Jordan has uh, begun a very successful entertainment franchise within the metal and hardcore world called Two Minutes to Late Night. I don't know if you ever.
0: Hmm.
2: It's like a talk. It started out as like a talk show that was hosted by uh, a guy in like metal face paint and whatnot. Right. And whatnot. And then, so because of that, he's had the opportunity to meet a lot of people and to travel around. And he's like, yeah, this theory holds up, holds 100% water. But like the people who are in it to just, you know, be l- loud and aggressive are the dog people and the people who are in it to have a place that they call home mm-hmm. are the cat people
1: interesting yeah i don't know like i've been dipping a toe into the uh the martial arts world mm-hmm. and there's a very similar thing there is the stereotype that is sort of like the most front facing uh or noticeable or i don't know obnoxious mm-hmm. uh type that's that that tends to be like oh that's what people think yeah. of the whole community i'm mm-hmm. just like some like big kind of like macho joe rogan meathead kind of guy mm-hmm. but most everybody who I meet in the martial arts world, they're like so humble and patient and welcoming and very like gentle people because they deeply understand how important it is that everybody uh, on the mat is comfortable because you're very vulnerable. You're straddling people. You know, you got, you're like facing people's like crotches and Mm -hmm. chests and stuff. And you have to be like, you can't be, creeping anybody out like nobody can feel like weird nobody can feel like they're gonna get hurt nobody can feel like they're gonna get like cornered or hit on or anything and so by and large that is the prevailing thing and if like if people come up against that like if there is a problem like those people are out like real quick yeah you know like it doesn't like that shit does not stand Mm -hmm. in any reputable gym or dojo or yeah. anything like that. Like, it's it's not just, like, a bunch of, like, fucking, like, Cobra Kai, you know, mm-hmm. douchebags running around. I don't know. Um, I guess the the whole thing of, like, the new Netflix Cobra Kai is, like, it's actually more complicated than that. Actually, yeah. Johnny, uh, Johnny Lawrence is a really, you know, interesting, nuanced mm-hmm. character, which is cool. I don't know. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if you've seen it. I haven't. It's, it's fine. It started yeah. off really cool, and I think it kind of ran out of gas, but it's still it's still kind of I, I
2: lose track of I'd say 95% of the things that I watch within a year yeah so if, if it's if I'm not watching it as a completed series odds are
1: uh, I really have to work at it to finish it did you start doing social work and um, stand up around the same time no
2: I was a social worker for social worker for about nine years before I started stand-up. Mm-hmm.
1: What what type of social work were you doing?
2: Uh, I started out working uh, in a day program for mentally ill and chemically addicted adults. Yeah. And then I wor- moved to a shelter for a post... Is
1: that, uh, sorry, is that something you go to school for? Or is that something that you... Like no. Just sort of like Craigslist?
2: Um, I, I saw... Uh, I mean... This was like early days of Craigslist. So I think I may have just seen I think I may have gone to visit my mom at uh her agency one day and saw a uh like flyer about people mm-hmm. who were about how they were hiring and said no experience needed and I was uh like literally anything to get me out of this sales job. Like I didn't get into it I got in, I knew I could do it because I came from that background of empathy, but that's not why I got into it. I got into it just as a way to get myself out of my sales job. Mm. And then I was like, oh, this is, I I really actually
1: like this. Right. What made you, um, want to stop doing
0: social work?
2: Uh, I just got, uh, burnt out on a couple, uh, experiences. Um, I'm, can I jump to something that you asked me in the questionnaire? Yes. Uh, so one of the questionnaire questions is, Has have I ever been fired? Mm, yes. And uh, I had not been fired until... Uh, I Technically, I got fired from my sales job, but that's because, as I said in the questionnaire, uh, I put in my two weeks notice because I was going to go to the social work job. Right. And my boss was like, be honest with me. Are you going to give one hundred and ten percent this last two weeks? I was like, no.
1: Who the fuck would do that? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> what I'm kind not. Of a dumb fucking question is that. What yeah. what was he expecting you to say? I think he was expecting me
2: to bullshit him because I, you know, he.
1: Well, do sales. It, you know, he's bullshit, a sales,
2: yeah. and in in that particular model, it would be what would best be described as a a pyramid scheme. So it's a lot of blowing smoke up the ass of the person who is directly above you so that they're happy and then they blow smoke and hopefully that trickles down to more money right uh so that was the first time i got fired then i got fired from my first social work job because i was doing four people's job at once mm-hmm. and i something had to slip and it just happened to be the thing that the state was coming in to audit us about. Right. Which was, uh, we're supposed to do interaction notes three times a week for each client. And I had a client, I had a caseload of 42 people. Jeez.
1: That's and that 42 people you see a week,
2: 42 people. I a saw month? three times a week. But I, w- I was working in a day program, so okay. they came to see me. I didn't have to go to see them for the most part, unless they didn't show up for a week. Then I had to go to their how house.
1: 42 in a week, how many is that in a day?
2: Um. Well, some people came every day. Some people came oh,
1: okay.
2: once a week just to keep us off their backs, You know, because they right. know that if they're gone for a week, then we have to do a home visit and stuff like that. Uh, but I was doing that. I was also the cook. Mm-hmm. I was also the... Uh, Recreation manager, which means that I uh, help them decide. Uh, we, uh, the social work program I work in which is what's called the clubhouse model, uh, which does a, a lot of work of empowering the clients by giving them decision-making roles in non-vital roles. Mm-hmm. So, like, obviously they couldn't make hiring decisions or they couldn't. Uh, you know dictate who got what salary or whatever but if the, if it was time for a trip they you know the clients and the staff got together and just dis- discussed what kind of trip we wanted to take and stuff right. like that uh so recreation coordinator was a lot of that of just like meeting with people and then i also and
1: this was still with like uh adults with uh, mm-hmm. substance abuse issues
2: Men- yeah m- uh, mica is what they would be called mentally ill chemically addicted okay uh yeah and so that was my third job that i was getting one salary for and then i was also a uh a fill-in receptionist when people were out sick and stuff like that right so uh i would i just kind of fell behind on um keeping notes Mm -hmm. on my interactions because a lot of them were just like yeah, I asked James how he was doing, and he said he was doing all right. And I asked him if his rent was paid. He showed me his, you know, receipt from his housing facility that said he had paid his rent. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. So in my mind, I was like, I don't need to write that down.
1: Yeah, no, I get it. Like, again, ADD brain. Yeah. but and this the, is, you know, like filling out like the same, like I fill yeah. out visit reports for every single dog I walk and Exactly. It's like we walked around the same block mm-hmm. that we always do. They poop where they always poop. They pee where they always pee. Yeah, and it's pretty much the same thing day in, day out, forever. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Like, and like sometimes, like a thing will come up, and my boss will be like, "Did you notice anything like this today?" And I'm yeah. like, "Honestly, uh, don't really remember." I don't remember. It all fucking blends together after a while. I'm sorry. Yeah.
2: Uh. Yeah. Exactly. So, but you know, we're get money from the state so they get to come in whenever they want and ask to see all your books right and they looked at my books and they were not where they should be so (sighs) i got fired for that and then i went to work at a shelter for a year Mm -hmm. and that was fine i didn't like that as much because uh, it was far more intense and there was less agency on behalf of the clients. Yeah. Because, like, since they're post-incarceration, it was very much like, these are the rules. You have no input on the rules. Yeah. And if you...
1: Well, and that's intense work. I mean, these are yeah. very uh, troubled people. Mm-hmm. Like, there's often...
2: But it's an intentionally intense, too, because it's like you don't want to transition somebody from having a literal prison level of rules to having a complete blank slate when it comes to that. Uh, so it, 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 it's, it's not by accident that these people uh, are shitty drill mess, drill sergeants, you know? Uh, so I hated that. And then I went to work, uh, at a, at the, organization where i ran youth sports leagues i uh it was an after-school program uh, that was sponsored by major league baseball yeah and uh we would the kids on our teams they had to go to x amount of tutoring or after-school programming uh during the school year and in exchange they got to basically play on mid to high level uh, little little league teams for free. I'm like completely free. Like we paid for their equipment. We paid for right. their uniforms, their transportation, everything. And then I also ran those leagues in the summer. So it was like 25% our teams and then 75% teams from all over the place. Teams from deep Brooklyn all the way out to Long Island and upstate and stuff like that yeah uh so i did that and then i that that was the i got fired from that job because my supervisor uh decided that he wanted to go become a preacher and then they brought in this other person who had come from an organization that was very similar to ours and they decided that they felt that the staff they had there was the people they were comfortable working with right so they were like well we can't have two people at your position that would be redundant right i was like cool well i've been here for 5 years and she was like i do not care right this, this is this is my so that was more of a system. layoff situation yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: but, I mean, man, you put in your time with that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, that is... it. Really, I volunteered
2: there for seven years before I started God working damn. there, too.
1: How do you do that? It really takes a special type of person to, like, do that kind of work. Because, mm-hmm. honestly, most people, like, they don't even want to go near a shelter or any yeah. type of, like, substance uh, rehab program. Much less, like, go to one every day. I mean, like, mm-hmm. like you see the fucking, like, fits that people throw if they, like, open a new shelter, in, in, like, on their block or oh. whatever. You know, like they they they're, they're like almost like heebie-jeebies like afraid of him like Ugh, get him away like it's like a snake or some Run shit it. you know like it's it's nuts we like it's it? gonna, like they're going to like get homeless on you or some shit you, you see you see oh uh-huh.
2: are you on next door at all
1: uh i try and not look at it cuz it s- really just is yeah
2: i i am not in in my neighborhood i'm in a, in the, on the upper east side mm-hmm. i cannot tell you how i ended up on that website in the first place, let alone in the Upper East Side segment of it. But it's constantly people complaining about people smoking weed or people or homeless people. And it's just like, okay, uh, cross the street. Yeah. You'd, first off, if somebody's smoking weed at on the landing next to you, you're not going to become a drug addict. Why do you care?
1: Well, it's also, you live in the most densely populated city in the United States of America. You don't like smelling reefer smoke. Yeah. Go to Connecticut. Go to fucking Nebraska. Like, there's a a lot of space. This is a big-ass country. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, like, most of it's just empty. You could just buy a house out in the middle of fucking Scott's Bluff for Mm -hmm. nothing. You know? Like, maybe do that you don't like people i don't know yeah um
2: but also it's just like a lot of a lot of them are very uh and this kind of tracks back to what we were talking about earlier about people's motivations for things yeah a lot of people think that longevity makes something right you know Mm -hmm. so like a lot of the people that i see complaining about the homeless or the kids smoking pot are people who are second or third generation, have always lived on the Upper East Side, have always had, like, a very affluent background and stuff like that. And it's just like, well, they have... These people have just as much right to be here as you do. It's not... For all you know, their generations go back in the city longer than yours do. Yeah. So you don't have any, you know, eminent domain here. You're... You pay you pay money to live here and they pay money to live here. It's yeah. probably not the same amount of money, but that's more yeah. your fault than their don't fault.
1: You pay for money. That's in like a cubic yeah. square, you know, like mm-hmm. in the building that you live in, Yeah, you don't, Pay for the whole city around like, exactly. That's not under your control, right? Like it's uh, I don't know when
2: they're man. when they're like I pay f- four thousand dollars a month to live in my sounds apartment, like a, and it's just like well, like you're well you shitty rent, bro. Yeah, dude. Why? Because you have a doorman. <laughs> <laughs> pay me a thousand dollars, and I will just open the door for you whenever you come home. Yeah, I'll call you Mister or Miss whatever you want. You know.
1: Amazing. You. Uh, eventually did get out of uh, social work not even through through like really being you know shit canned a couple of times but just like it's just not something you really it seems like not something you could really do forever like, It's how not could something you not you could, get fucking burnt out like how could you not
2: the people who don't get burnt out are the people who have really mastered compartmentalization yeah and at the time that I made the decision not to go to another social work job uh, it was because I'm also pretty good at compartmentalization, but at that point, I, I all my compartments were full.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was just like, I do not have it in me to continue. Like things with my uh, sister were going kind of haywire. Uh, I, you know, I had some friends who were going through really crazy stuff. I was dealing with uh, kind of. Being more uh, self realistic about uh, some of my mental health struggles and stuff like that. And I was just like, I, I don't have the capacity in me to handle a th- yet another person's stuff right now, yeah. let alone 42 of them.
1: That's totally fair. I don't know. Like, yeah. I feel like you did your tour of duty, honestly. <laughs> you, you like really put in some time so at this point like i am mm-hmm. just forget to fucking get a fucking money making job who cares
2: yeah well i work i work parallel to the field mm. i work at I work at a social work school now
1: okay well, there you go uh
2: but i i mostly handle mail mm-hmm. and uh it's it's not a huge money making job but it is a decent money making job that I am 100% confident will never go anywhere because I am part of the same union as our trash collectors and firemen oh sick
1: yeah unions um so how is um I don't know how's your general like mental health and work life balance going now
2: um it's going right. you know I had a, a pretty rocky winter Mm-hmm. uh just with some relationship stuff that fell apart mm-hmm. that uh the way it fell apart really kind of messed with my head because i felt like i you know when 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 things fall apart sometimes um we tend to focus on ourselves which is not an unhealthy thing but it's not always the healthiest yeah so like in in my relationship that i had uh uh my partner went back to an old partner of hers who had been fairly mentally ab- abusive and would later become slightly physically abusive right and that really fucked with my head and not in the way that it should have, you know, I should have as somebody who still is, you know, has a very good friendship with, uh, my ex and, uh, still cares for them very much. Uh, I should have been a bit more reflective about how she arrived at that decision and kind of like, In in hindsight you see a lot of the like you know how when you're in like a a mentally abusive and gaslighting relationship it's kind of very easy to lose yourself in that yeah Uh, but in my the way I reacted to it was like well if this dude's such a fucking scumbag and
1: uh, and she went back to him right what does that make me yeah yeah, I get that. Cuz again, you know, like the your higher self yeah. would tell you I should I love and care about this person and I should be concerned for her. Yes, exactly. First and foremost. But your ego mm-hmm. and like your, you know, just your your male mm-hmm. maleness, male ego, all of that shit is just like, well, this fucking guy's better than me. He's a piece of shit. Like, yeah. fuck him, you know, and like that's that's what it blows up into like that's the see that's see, the emotional reaction and not the, the the problem though is that that's how
2: both of those things are how i should have reacted yeah even if i was going on a purely based ego a purely ego based reaction it should have been this guy fucking sucks yeah Fuck him, fuck everything about him, but it what it was, and you know it was from a obviously residual from a lifetime of depression was like, man, I must be total garbage yeah it wasn't it, you know it, it wasn't even the idea of being angry at him didn't even cross my mind until probably two months. After the original thing had happened, because I was just so stuck in. uh, I was so stuck in this kind of like, I did something. I must have fucked this up. Right. You know, when in reality, and, you know, both through the beauty of hindsight and also, like I said, me and my uh, ex, we have a. A very good relationship that we've spent a lot of time, as she would say, tending and mending. Yeah. So, like, we've had been able to have conversations about all this and whatnot. But uh, the idea of being mad, I was just so stuck in a self-destructive and self-pitying place that the idea of being angry at him didn't even pop into my head until... I would say around New Year's or so. And we broke up like the second week of November. Yeah. And it was just because the first couple times we hung out afterwards, uh, she was still very much in her own kind of uh, self gaslighting mode. Yeah. So, you know, manically happy and excitable and stuff like that. And then once when we hung out after they had been together for like a month or so, I was like, you are deeply unhappy. Yeah. And now, and that gave me the permission to be like, Oh no, wait, it's this guy who sucks. It's not me. It's not her.
1: It's this guy, this guy. Is she still with this crappy guy? No. No. So that's good. Yeah. But like, it is hard to watch somebody sort of make a mistake in real time and just know Mm -hmm. that, like, you're just gonna have to learn this yourself. Right. Nothing I can say is going to, uh...
2: It was real bad because first off, making them, watching them make the mistake is awful enough as
1: is. Yeah.
2: And then on top of that, watching the compounding of that mistake where it felt like every, every time we hung out he was a little more comfortable being a bad person yeah so like it would go from being like passive aggressive to being a little more like shouty and aggressive to uh the last one of the last times we hung out as a group it was me one of our mutual friends her and her uh at the time boyfriend and they got into an argument and she went to like uh like put her arms around him to kind of try to calm him down and he shoved her off and I was like see this is a problem because this shows me that he's getting more comfortable being aggressive right and we need to nip this in the bud right so it didn't last much longer than that because uh luckily uh I was not the only person with that insight, you know? Right. And when you hear that shit from multiple people and you at some point have to sit down and do like a cost benefit analysis. Sure. And be like, all of these people that I care about keep saying the same thing about this person. What am I getting out of this person? Right. That offsets the fact that everybody else hates him.
1: Did you want to like beat his ass or something? Oh, I wanted
2: to. I Yes. Many yeah. times. Yeah. That night in particular, I really wanted to uh uh I really wanted to fucking hit him but uh i w- i'm also keenly w- i was also keenly aware of how that their dynamic worked right. and knew that if I had started to get aggressive with him, he would just uh pull her off the table for lack of a better term right. and just be like no you guys aren't allowed to hang out anymore right." and whatnot. I was like, it's more important to me that I, a, I get to hang out with my, b, my best friend and B I get to, uh, have eyes on the situation. Again,
1: the knee jerk testosterone thing is like, usually not what you want to go with. Yeah, exactly. It's going to make shit worse. (laughs) It's such a fucking filter. You really have to run every like Mm -hmm. thought that goes through your head. Yeah. Like every, every, uh, interaction you have, like, throughout the day be it Mm -hmm. like professional or just like casual or social whatever like just just running your your like ooga booga testosterone Mm -hmm. brain through the like the the matrix of you know just a being civilized and b just like actually being a good person like fuck fuck like law and order and societal decorum Mm -hmm. and shit but just like actually being good and living by your values and shit yeah like I think you have to really run it to, it's got it's got to pass through a lot of filters. You got to work
2: hard at it, you know. Yeah. But I, I, I if there's one one thing I can comfortably say, it's uh that if you work at it hard enough for long enough, then it stops being work. Mm. You know, I'm 41 uh and I've only I would say in the past 2 years maybe three years gotten to a point where a uh you know it doesn't feel like as much work to have to filter out the machismo stuff yeah and B, the other thing that i think is very important in this situation is differentiating uh lessons from excuses like if something shitty happens to you you have one of three options. One is to completely ignore it, which nobody can ever do. Nobody can, like, if something real bad happens to you, only true sociopaths are able to uh, just be like, well, that happened on to the next thing. And then your other two choices are either you will make that an excuse for whatever shitty behavior you want to engage in going forward, or you'll be like, how can I not be like this? Or how can I turn this into something that informs me to move forward into the world, you know, in a, a, what I would call a stronger way. You know, it's not mightily stronger as far as like physical might or whatever, but it's a, it's a mentally and emotionally stronger way, which is like, how can I use this bad thing as a way to fuel me and fuel my, decision to move forward in a place where less where i help make less bad things happen yeah
1: you can't help being a victim in the moment right. sometimes but mm-hmm. continuing to be one right. after the fact at some point it does become a choice
2: and continuing to use your victimhood as justification to victimize others yeah. as opposed to being like man it sucks when i it sucked when i was a victim i don't want anybody to be a victim but I think a lot of people, you know, have the, a very tit for tat mentality. Yeah. Like, well, I was a victim, so I should be allowed to make somebody else a victim to offset that.
1: Well, look where that's got. Look us.
2: where that gets us.
1: It's a good note to end on. Yeah. Let's do plugs and stuff. Where can okay. people find you and uh, and your work?
2: Um, Instagram, John John's a phenomenon. Twitter, John John Phenom. Uh, I run a monthly show called we 're Not Sweet in Bushwick, Brooklyn um, if you look, If you follow me on either Twitter or Instagram, I always post when our monthly show is it 's a little fluid it 's all it 's always on Saturdays, but sometimes it 's the second sometimes it 's
1: the third Saturday
2: uh, yeah that 's pretty much all you know all I have at the moment
1: hell yeah man well thank you so much for uh for doing this show thank you you.
2: i had a really great time this is great
1: man and you know it's 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 always a a weird experience having Mm -hmm. having a deep heart to heart with somebody who you literally just met. literally just met this went well
2: yeah great. thank you
1: thank you once again to john rosenberger for being on the show check out his comedy check go check out that show I might not be able to make it. I got to go to a fucking wedding and stuff. But go, go to the show that's happening this Saturday. Uh, if you're listening to this when this episode airs and all that. You know, and you live in the New York, blah, blah, blah. A lot of qualifiers that I don't need to say. Cause you should be able to, you know. This is common sense. Come on. Use your head. If, if you're listening to this in Tennessee... Six months from now. Obviously you're not going to that show. I'm sorry. That's not how time and space works. But anyway. I love you anyway. Thanks for listening. You can find me at Bradical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at Selfworst on Instagram. Email the show at self uh, self-worst at gmail.com Um and uh Patreon.com slash self worst get video content and uh extras get some deleted scenes you know, uh, d- director's commentary uh, I do commentary tracks on my own podcast episodes <laughs> I'm just talking over myself and here's where I was uh, just really spiraling and was just talking and talking and <sighs> I wasn't sure what I was saying but I couldn't end the sentence, I wasn't sure they were just kind of like looking at me and nodding their head and I wasn't really sure what I was Anyway, this happens a lot in this show. Uh, That's all. Hope you're uh, staying safe and uh, not uh, dying of the climate or a disease or a bullet. Um, That's all just swarming around out there. Just hot bullets, virus particles. Just... It's nasty out there. It's humid. It's summertime. We're in that real ball sweat part of the summer. That has officially begun. It's in the 90s all week. Drink some water. Oh, this is a thing, by the way. A lot of psychiatric drugs, SSRIs and things like that, uh, they can dehydrate you. They can make you more susceptible to fainting and heat stroke and stuff like that so stay hydrated stay cool keep a little water bottle on you you know drink some seltzer do whatever you gotta do stay hydrated all right take care of yourself i'm brad pearson uh oh music is by shea bartell thank you Shay. that's all i'm brad pearson uh i love you i die for you i kiss you on the lips bye